by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. From abroad. A student-run radio show broadcasting from U of T. Tracks from abroad. Tracks from abroad. Tracks from abroad. Hello and welcome to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. This is a show where every week we go around the globe, listening to different music from different cultures, interviewing students from those cultures, and getting a little bit of insight into them. My name is Alex Troxel, and I'm here sitting for the first time in the studio with Seth Martosh. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's awesome to be here in the studio for the first time. Super excited to get into today's episode and interview the rest of the people we have for the upcoming year. Yeah, and uh, you've been doing a lot of great work for Tracks from Abroad, representing us at the Global Toronto Music Festival. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Thank you, yeah. We were invited to the Global Toronto Music Conference, as you said, a couple weeks ago, and we were able to see some amazing showcases, interview some awesome artists like Analia from Dominican Republic, Richie J from Haiti, as well as some of the organizers of the event. So stay tuned to hear some of those interviews on the show in the next couple of weeks. Today we are actually doing an episode on South Korea and we have two great interviews for you today. One later on will be from Professor Bill Ju, who is a professor of human biology here at the University of Toronto. And the other is from Ryan, a third year student at the university as well. Yep, and we started by talking to Ryan a little bit about how he came to be a third year student at U of T all the way from his childhood. So let's hear a little bit about that. Hi, we are Blisk, and you are listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT Radio 89.5. Because, like, my dad came here um, in high school, so it wasn't quite the same for him. But my mom came here after university, right? So she had to go through the whole debacle. She had to endure all the stress. And she always reminds me, like, I would have loved to grow up here in Canada and have your education. Like, that would have been such a blessing to me. Have you gone back to South Korea? 
Um, actually, I've only been there one time, and that was when I was like a couple months old. That was for my aunt's wedding, so I can't really say like I've been been to Korea, you know. So there's a bit of a cultural like gap within me in terms of like I would say I'm more Canadian than South Korean. That being said, I still have a lot of my roots, and I still enjoy the culture a lot. So, what is it that you think you enjoy about the culture? I think the food. I love Korean food. I mean, my parents cook Korean food mostly at home. So I think that's what really, really immerses me. Just like eating good Korean food and all the side dish. Oh, I love it. Right. Here's my test on just how in love with Korean food you are. When you go out to eat, is it Korean food? Is that still your number one choice? Or are you like, I need to get away from this? I think if I had to choose a favorite food, it would be a Korean dish. But I love exploring new types of cuisines. So when I go out, it isn't always Korean food that I go out for. But like when I need a good boost, I, I always go right. back to Korean food. I guess on the topic of food and the difference in cultures between Korea and, and Canada, is there different etiquette around food and eating and that sort of thing? Do you have to act maybe one way around your parents while you're eating in a different way? In Korean culture in general, you have to have a lot of respect for your elders. There's a huge importance on that. That's also embedded into our language. We have formal speech versus informal speech. And then I don't know the whole system of etiquette for eating, but generally it's like always, you know, prioritize your elders first, wait for the oldest person to start eating. Like I didn't always follow these rules. Like our family was a bit more chill on that, but it's really based around the elders. And in terms of like eating and, you know, going out, where have you found in Toronto or like some of the best uh, Korean restaurants or areas to go to? My favorite was Kimchi House. I went there with my mom when we first came to Toronto because she wanted to come with me. And we ate there for the very first time. She actually poked her head in a lot of Korean restaurants, but she's like, no, this one's too expensive. Oh, no, this one doesn't smell right. Oh, no, this is, this is not, no. And then we finally landed on that one. Would you say that's important for your parents as a way of like connecting to their culture is experiencing the right Korean food? Yeah. We don't really cook a lot of Canadian food at home. I mean, it's interesting because they used to own like a gas station and restaurant um, way up north in BC for like all the truckers and like, it was just in the middle of nowhere. But um, there they always had to cook Western food. But at home, I think that's how they kind of differentiated their professional and personal life. It was Korean food. So I think it's a good way to stay connected. And like also... Um, when we meet other like Korean family friends, like we often do it in like a potluck style. So we bring like a dish and everyone brings a dish. Um, so Ryan, can you tell us about one of the songs that you have chosen for us and why it's important to you? The playlist I sent over has 10 songs and kind of like expressing my journey with Korean music. The first one is Blue from Big Bang. Um, when I was younger, Big Bang hits different, you know, it's that Tony Tens era. Yeah, so um, Blue is very sentimental to me. I heard a lot of Big Bang growing up. There's a lot of other great songs that Big Bang has, but that was the one that was most sentimental to me. Great. So, We're talking with Ryan about South Korea, and we're going to take a music break to listen to some tracks that he has recommended. We'll be right back on CIUT 89.5 FM. Oh, 
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. Once again, I'm Alex and I'm joined by Seth. And today we're talking to Ryan from South Korea. So we just got a chance to listen to uh, one of the tracks that you brought in for us, Ryan. Do you listen to much Korean music? I think when I was younger, I had kind of an apprehension towards K-pop because everyone talked about it and I didn't really know of it. So I didn't really listen to it much. I just threw myself into other genres of music. But nowadays, I'm like a lot more open to it. I'm listening to a lot of KRMB, K-pop. What do you think changed that made you sort of open up to it? I think I just embraced my own culture and my own identity more. 
for me growing up, fitting in was so important. So that's why I was so insecure about what other people listened to because I wanted to listen to what other people listened to. I didn't really care what I listened to or what my parents listened to. It was very, I was a very, um, what's it called? People pleaser? Yeah, so that's how it, it started. But as I grew older, maybe like till like grade 11, 12 of high school, I embraced that identity more. I was a lot more comfortable in it. And I realized that I actually found a lot of value in my identity as a South Korean, so... In terms of, you know, listening to K-pop, why do you think that it's exploded in popularity over the past couple of years? I think it started with Gangnam Style. It showed the world, or at least it showed Korea, that you don't need to be English in order to be accepted in the Western music world. Korea had a really big history. I mean, the, how South Korea started, it was like, it was in the South, basically the North and South split and lots of U.S. influence there. When we first started as a country, there's a lot of uh, suppression on what kind of music we could produce, what kind of TV we could watch. But later, um, the government started investing a lot into the culture aspect of Korea. But everything was very, very controlled. Once Gangnam Style like, kind of exploded, I think a lot of like record labels or like entertainment industries they kind of got the music down to like a science. Like everything is so controlled. Like if you look at modern K-pop, right? The idols, they're chosen from a very young age. They're trained for like years and years and years before they can debut. I can't name them all, but there's probably like 20 other like very specific like roles. And everything's kind of like hyper-produced. You know, if you look at a K-pop video, everything's so extravagant, so colorful, so loud. So they got it down to a science and they figured out how to reach an international audience. And there's a lot of strategies they did with that, like incorporating different languages. K-pop was huge in Japan and China and in other neighboring like East Asian countries. So it was a whole very big process that happened and just exploded right so it's basically just very well refined pop music refined. that just happen it happens to be coming from korea but it's a big export too something it's that they want to yeah, have yeah. mass appeal could you say maybe a bit about you mentioned the cultural change that happened early in korea's history what sort of elements were suppressed and then later what sort of elements were invested into the earliest governments were very right-sided and there's a lot of just like censorship like what we could and couldn't do. But later when we became like a democracy, that kind of opened up. And when you realize that culture is a huge factor in soft power over the world, and Korea was so, so poor. South Korea was really, really poor um, after the Korean War. But if you look at South Korea now, they're very economically like up there, right? So there's a huge shift that made the Korean government realize like there's so much power to be gained. And soft power was one of the main ways they did that. They opened themselves up to more Western influences. And they incorporated that and they did it well. They could appeal to different audiences. Yeah, so I know that like you were talking about, you know, your mom growing up and saying how kind of the schooling was very rigorous. But do you think that nowadays with that investment in the culture, it's changed a little bit? Or do you think it's still pretty rigorous? I think everything's rigorous. Even if you want to be a K-pop idol, even that path, like whatever you choose, it's going to be rigorous. Like if you're going to be an idol, on top of being a student, you got to do singing lessons. You got to do dancing lessons. You got to practice. I think like, the average trainee has to train for like five, six years before they can even be considered for debuting. And the age where they debut is like getting younger and younger. Like new jeans, like one of the members, I think they're born in like 2007. 
wow. which is crazy, right? Like they're so young and they're like professional idols. Do you find at that point it almost gets a bit formulaic? It's very formulaic. Like, like I said before, they kind of got it down to science and there have been like some reports of abuse, but everything's very formulaic. Everything is controlled and it's so contradictory. We have a cultural conservative like view on like innocence, but they're very sexualized in K-pop. But they also, they have to be innocent, right? Like, I know, like, Jenny from Blackpink, she was on, like, a, a series um, with with The Weeknd, I think. And she sexualized herself a lot in that. But there was so much backlash from that. We kind of think of idols as, like, godly in a sense, where they have so much cultural influence. You know, BTS, they talked at the United Nations. Like, they have so much power. But in a sense, they're kind of a slave to the contract, right? They don't have any creative freedom over what they produce. They're just listening to all what these people say and they have to follow these instructions in such a formulaic way. So there's a lot of contradictions there. I'm thinking a bit about when you say that there's this contradiction. Do you think that's partly due to maybe like generational shifts? Like maybe the older generations that came up under the censorship and under more socially conservative culture compared to, you know, nowadays where maybe things are liberalizing a bit more? Is that something that's going on? K-pop is very new age, but it's, it's a huge influence. That being said, values don't change as quickly as music does. K-pop is very capitalistic, in my opinion. It's very, like, the intentions are so clear. Like, this is for making money. But in order to do that, you know, sometimes values are compromised. So like you said, there is a shift going on, and it's interesting to see, like, the tensions within that. Yeah, Ryan, can you share with us another one of the tracks that you have recommended today? Yeah, so on the topic of K-pop, I think I'd like to share OMG by New Jeans. It's kind of been stuck in my head recently, and um, they're an up-and-coming K-pop group, so yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. We're going to take a short music break to listen to OMG by New Jeans, and we'll be right back on CIUT 89.5 FM. I 
C-I-U-T, the sound of your city. Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Seth and I'm here with my co-host Alex. Today we're chatting with Ryan about South Korea and you just heard one of his favorite songs during our music break. So we did hear that you have a position at University College. I do. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like what responsibilities you take on in that role? Yeah, okay. So I am the president of the UCRC. That stands for the University College Residence Council. So... Uh, for sure, you can call me ResPres. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, University College, we have three residences. We have Sir Dan, Whitney, and Morrison Hall. And we're the student council that represents everybody who lives on residence. And that's for advocating for their needs, their interests, and their concerns, right? In general, mostly we run events. So in conjunction with the Dons, we hold all sorts of events. I came from Vancouver, I guess, flew over here, knew nothing about the city. It was a totally new experience. 
but I think residence life kind of created that like safety net for me and you know when you wake up when you walk around day to day you always see students around you and then you start seeing them again and again and you're like familiar with them and you know it's kind of like half adulting you know you don't have that full adult responsibility of having your own place you know cooking your own meals going grocery shop you can just go to a meal plan like it's convenient it's safe it's in the middle of campus it's really nice so I think that was a nice easing into university as a first year for me but yeah so I think it was the safety of residence for me that really got me to enjoy being here and wanting to contribute to that for other students as well is contributing to your community another reason that you were sort of drawn to your studies in ethics society and law ethics society and law like I said before it was just uh I I didn't really know what I wanted to do But in terms of what you said about community, I don't think my program really relates to that. I think it's just a sense of what I did in high school as well. I was always a part of different clubs and different like student governments in high school. So I think that just kind of translated when I'm here. I got into a private school, a private high school. And for us, it felt like a million to one odds. I got to go in on like a bursary, like we don't really have the money for it, right? So when I got in, my mom told me like, not everybody gets this chance. Like you better make the most out of it, right? And that kind of stuck with me. And even when I came to Toronto, like that's like not everybody gets this chance. So if I'm going to be here, I better make something out of it. So contributing to the community and having these different roles to be able to make a better place for other people, I think that's where it stems from. Like having the opportunity to do that was such a blessing for me. That's great. And that's maybe ties sort of back into that work ethic that your parents almost wanted to get away from, but you ended up sort of coming back to it. Is that just something that you think that your parents still just sort of influence you with? Or is that something that you sort of just found your way through? I think it's definitely a strong influence from my parents. They didn't want to be as rigorous and as um, demanding as it is in South Korea, but they still wanted to take advantage of what I was given in Canada, right? And they didn't want me to just flaunt that opportunity away. It took a lot for both of their families to come here and restart and build a new life. So I was kind of the the result of that, right? And mm-hmm. in a sense, I bore the responsibility of showing that they made the right decision to come here. So hard work was definitely a big thing that my parents prioritized for me it was always just do the best you can in it that's really admirable i mean i know you got some more time here at university but where do you think that could take you outside of school i'm not sure the thing about me is like i mentioned before it's so hard for me to commit to one discipline like i'm interested in music um i i make music every once in a while for fun um it's not it's not great music but it's like it's something i enjoy doing it's it's a good release i'm interested in basketball i love to play basketball i played basketball for a lot of high school a lot of elementary i like to write poetry but for me that hard work it's still in its exploring phase it hasn't landed on anything i'm kind of like a you know a dandelion sea just like floating in the air and right now there's a lot of things i like and i kind of like touch but you know nothing i kind of grab onto and hold that sense mm-hmm. of like oh this is my this is my future this is everything you know yeah do you want to say a bit about the music you make well i think it's very personal i don't have anything out it started as a covid hobby actually and i started learning ukulele as well and i did you know the little chords and made my little songs and and i think that kind of grew into something more than just messing around like i started actually creating songs and i was like this is very enjoyable like i 
enjoy doing that. And I can't pin myself down in one genre. Like I said, dandelion in the air. So I can't, you know, I can't land on anything yet. Yeah. Was there a specific inspiration you had when you were going through the process of discovering how do you want to write music? I don't think there's a particular inspiration. The thing about me and like artistic things like poetry or music, there's always like a catalyst for it. For me, it was always like I had a lot of emotions. So for music, it was a breakup that actually got me into song making. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I need to, I need to document this, you know, not to express how I feel. And that actually turned into a song. And every time I make a song, I just stumble upon like a song that I've been listening to. And I'm like, I like the chords. I'm going to, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> or like, I like, I like the, the vibes of this song. I'm going to try to like recreate it in my own way. So it's hard to pin one inspiration because they all stem from so many different places right mm -hmm. but if i were to pinpoint where my inspiration for music making comes from mm -hmm. i would say from difficult experiences i have personally right of course is there a recommendation that you'd like to give to us one more that we can play for the listeners for the listeners yeah so i think this song is very vibey it's instagram from dean it's very krmb but yeah have a good listen well, thank you, Ryan, so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was such a great discussion. We talked about some very interesting topics and heard some incredible music. I am Seth Martosh with my co-host, Alex Troxel. You're listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM.
thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the show and telling us a little bit about your culture and upbringing here. You were just listening to a song called Bike by Jordan, originally a track by the Korean band Edoi. Jordan did a remix and cover on this song. He's a Montreal-based artist. We're going to get into our next interview. Uh, Alex, do you want to introduce the next interviewee? Yeah, so the next person we talked to is Bill Ju, a professor here at U of T about human biology, or rather specializing in human biology. And we talked to him a little bit about his background coming from a uh, family that immigrated to Canada and stopped even along the way in Brazil. And we started by talking a little bit about his upbringing. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, from Scarborough, but uh, sort of my cultural background, my parents uh, actually are both North Korean. They immigrated south uh, to South Korea during the Korean War. They spent a few years there, and then they both apparently separately took a trip um, on a large cruise boat all the way to Brazil. They decided to live in Brazil where I was born uh, until I was fairly small. And then we moved up here to Canada, and we've been living in Scarborough ever since. When you were growing up, what did you understand about what your parents had to do to set you up living here? You know, I, I think that's a really tough question because I didn't really experience it uh, in the true sense of being like an immigrant. Mm. It was just sort of everyday life. Uh, I do respect it an awful lot now in retrospect, having thought about that and sort of my own lived experience now with my own daughter who's you know, also Korean, uh, but she doesn't really experience the Korean background as much. So I'd say that at the time, I really didn't appreciate it. It was kind of weird being the only Asian kid in class. It was also very weird um, having a totally different type of dinner than my my friends would be having at home. So Mm -hmm. very different experience, but uh, I do appreciate it now. Would you like to tell us a bit about uh, your teaching style? Because I think that's something that's sort of been important to you in your career, from my understanding. That's, a, again, another really tough question. I'm not sure how I describe how I teach. I like to in, engage my students as much as possible, but I'm sure that's common to all professors. Mm-hmm. I'd say the one thing I'd like to try to do that may be a little bit different is to uh, engage my students socially outside of the classroom as a group uh, as often as I can. And lately that's uh, involved like just heading out and exploring a lot of different places to eat here here in Toronto, whether it's uh, going down to Chinatown, Kensington Market, heading up to, to Bay and Bloor, checking out Italy. Can't quite afford going up to Yorkville yet, maybe one day, but uh, just in general, uh, just maybe socially interacting with my students a little bit more. Maybe you could say a bit about how international students might face different challenges than domestic students? Again, I think that's a really tough question. Sorry to keep saying that. I, these are great questions. They're, they're ones that I think people have been thinking about for a while. But, you know, you're, you're coming to, in many cases, a different culture, different climate. Um, you're having to make new friends, leaving family behind. There may be a very different pace, different expectations for international students where culturally the, the types of things related to, like, coming up with your own ideas, being able to cite things in in a unique way that might be foreign to them, we take for granted. And I I don't necessarily feel like we do a good job of understanding where different people are coming from. So I think the the challenges, there, there are a lot of them. I will say the one thing that's been sort of a drawback for me, sort of being second generation. uh, So I look Korean. Um, I, I grew up 
with Korean parents. Uh, I was in Brazil, and when I let students know that I have Korean background uh, in Korean culture, as well as growing up in Brazil, people either expect that I will know and uh, understand Portuguese, one, <laughs> and or come up and start speaking Korean to me, which is uh, great, but I don't really speak a lot of Korean. I'm learning. I, I really appreciate the culture, but I guess that's the, the one drawback. But then people, again, here have been uh, very accepting, totally understand that you know, I'm, I'm actually just learning a lot about my culture now. What are things that you appreciate or are coming to appreciate about Korean culture? You know, I think the take on Korean culture now is really about the, the different food experiences, uh, a lot about the Korean dramas. There's a, a lot about uh, Korean history through those dramas. Uh, I, I'd have to say that I digest it the same way. Like, I like all of the different types of food. Uh, here in Toronto, great opportunities to experience food. Sounds a lot more like a uh, food conversation than anything else. But also, like, just finding out um, a, a lot about uh, culture and the, the changing culture in Korea through, uh, you know, different media, like the uh, dramas that are on Netflix that are really popular. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the military service in Korea from your perspective? Like, what does that do to, like, the younger generation, and what's the... Um, perspective on it as somebody living here? So, again, it's a, it's a very foreign concept because I, I've had a lot of my own friends um, join the Canadian military, and I think it's a choice that people make here versus uh, what happens in Korea. I would say that the students that I have had who finished their university degrees and have to go back to Korea uh, or have to go back uh, during their university time here uh, just because of their age uh, is something that I think we don't really understand as much, or we should take the time to understand. It, it's foreign. It, it's really a different concept, um, but they are incredibly proud to, to serve their, their country. So I am uh, very happy to see that, just like uh, members of the military here uh, that choose to serve are also really proud to serve. We're going to take a short music break, and we'll be back after the break talking with Professor Bill Jew. You're listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM.
Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Seth, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Troxell. We're chatting today with Professor Bill Ju about South Korea, and you just heard a very nice Korean song during a music break. Professor, I wanted to ask you a bit also about uh, your time in Brazil, if you remember it at all. Actually, I remember almost nothing about my time there. How, however, most of my family on my father's side still lives there, so we, we do communicate with them an awful lot. But it is, again, one of those things where they, they love speaking Portuguese, speak very little English, uh, and so we kind of have to fall back on Korean as the common denominator language. And uh, again, shortcomings, not so fluent in Korean myself. But you said you were learning. Are you like actively learning now? I would say my, my wife is Korean-Korean, so she, she was born raised in Korea. Uh, we met in Korea, so I think she's trying her best to be as patient a teacher as possible, not the best student, which is what we're both realizing, and so I am still very much in the learning process. That's really impressive uh, to be learning a language. What has been some of the challenges uh, in doing that? I think just really the vocabulary. I, Keeping up with new vocabulary and retaining it, uh, I do. I would say that as a neuroscientist, I try my best to keep up with, um, you know, brain plasticity and neuroplasticity. But uh, just being able to to keep like different new words that I've learned, uh, phrases that I've learned, is a bit of a challenge. Could you explain uh, the term brain plasticity for for someone who may not? Uh... Yeah, we've we've immediately become uh, peons in this conversation. <laughs> I'd say your your brain is capable of adapting to new situations, new ideas, new thoughts, and new learning. And as you get older, that plasticity does diminish with time. Uh, it's important to keep that the brain as malleable or able to learn and, and to be filled up as much as possible. And that would be my simple de- definition of uh, brain plasticity. What would be some tips for students or people in general that are trying to keep their you know, brain functioning at the highest quality? So I'm going to be, again, going out a bit on the edge here uh, and say, one, you should get out and probably exercise at least uh, three times a week, probably for about 20 minutes if you can. And by exercising, I mean at least getting slightly out of breath. Try to stay socially engaged as much as possible. If you can, whether it is um, something that you're learning in a class or something that you are doing for fun, you should also spend some time reading because it does really engage your brain in in very different ways than, say, watching something on Netflix. What about something like like paddle sports? I've heard that's good for the brain. Is that a myth or can you talk to that at all? Well, I I personally love tennis. I used to play tennis quite a lot. So I would hope that tennis is something (laughs) that people are going to take up and and do. It's a great form of exercise, great for hand-eye coordination, and and great for uh, your overall aerobic um, capacity. And I heard pickleball is, like, really popular now. So So going back to your career, you mentioned that you really loved research earlier in your career. And then... um, you ended up becoming a teacher and ended up switching almost almost your research focus to uh, teaching. Uh, what was sort of the the gradual shift there? Was it was it gradual or was it something that you just decided one day and decided to switch? I have to say it's a little bit of both. So I had a great supervisor who's still here at the University of Toronto. Uh, this was 
Professor Bev Orser. And when it was time for my postdoc to be ending with her, so she's a clinician scientist, so she works in anesthesia, she and I had a, a chat because it was time to either make the firm commitment to stay in research, start my own lab, build up the whole thing that she had done, get trainees, write grants and everything else. Uh, I had seen the uh, level of stress that a lot of faculty members who are in research having to apply for grants, sometimes not getting grants, and then worrying about how am I going to continue on? How will I continue with these students that I've made this commitment to? And I realized that that wasn't the type of stress that I wanted at that particular time. Concurrent with that, I would say I really found myself enjoying teaching more. And so when I had the opportunity to guest lecture, that was the part of my job that I actually enjoyed the most. There weren't really teaching positions available at the time, so it was really just a leap of faith where I said, I'm not going to stay in research, I'm going to be jobless for about two or three months, I'm going to try my best to get out and find a teaching job, and luckily things just happened and worked out. Keeping sort of in line with our, our discussion of international students, would that be something that would be more pressing to them? Because I'm, I'm not sure um, if you don't have a, uh, a support network here, that those sort of risks might be different. And I think that's actually really relevant. Um, students don't really have those support networks, those international students that have decided to, to come here, to join us here, spend four years of their lives here. Um, and. I'd like to hope that they are making those support networks as much as possible. I happen to be really lucky in, in the sense that my family, my mom and dad, uh, they're both here in Toronto, and I, I did know that I could fall back on them if I had to. Mm-hmm. What do you think about in the next five, ten years down the road? How does the teaching landscape, or at least from a student perspective, how does that change with you know things being online and new technologies coming in? Where do you think that's going? It's a great question. I know a lot of people across the university are giving that some serious thought. So I think the first thing is we need to understand how artificial intelligence is going to both enhance student learning and what that means for teaching as well. We know that it is going to be very impactful. Uh, how that's going to happen, though, not really sure. My, my guess is it's going to be very helpful for students to have AI not in terms of writing their assignments or doing other things for them, but being able to enhance uh, their learning, sort of sitting alongside them as sort of a, almost like their own personal TA or being able to uh, take down different types of information that perhaps they wouldn't normally have had access to. Uh, In terms of like what I hope would happen is that down the road, five years, maybe a little bit um, longer, we should be looking at more flexibility for students uh, through like online or uh, different forms of learning. Well, Bill, I think I want to thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk to us about your own career and your own perspectives. Thank you so much. Put
갑자기 대학 날 가다가 혹시 넌나 때문에 힘들었니 아무 대답 없는 너 바보처럼 왜 너를 지우지 못해 넌 떠나버렸는데 너의 눈코입날 만지던 네 손길 작은 손톱까지 다 여전히 널 느낄 수 있지만 거친 불꽃처럼 다 들어가 버린 우리 사랑 모두 다 너무 아프지만 이제 널 추억이라 부를게 사랑이 사랑했지만 내가 부족했었나봐 혹시 우연이라도 한순간만이라도 널볼수 있을까 하루하루가 불안해져 네 모든 게 갈수록 희미해져 사진 속에 너는 왜 해맑게 웃는데 우리에게 다가오는 이별을 모른 채널 보낼 수 없는 나의 갑자기 대학 날 가다가 혹시 넌나 때문에 힘들었니 아무 대답 없는 너 바보처럼 돼 너를 지우지 못해 난 떠나버렸는데 너의 눈코입날 만지던 네 손길 작은 손톱까지 다 여전히 널 느낄 수 있지만 거친 불꽃처럼 다 들어가 버린 우리 사랑 모두 다 너무 아프지만 이제 널 추억이라 부를게 너의 까만 눈 향기로운 숨을 담은 너의 콜 사랑해 사랑해 내게 속삭이던 그 입술을 나 너의 눈 흘고 입날 만지던 네 손톱길 작은 손톱까지 다 You are listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM, and you just heard from Professor Bill Jew, a professor of human biology here at the University of Toronto. I just want to say, if anybody is looking for an interesting Instagram to follow, I had the pleasure of following Bill's Instagram after our interview, and I have not been disappointed. He posts about, you know, restaurants, the things he sees on campus, very active and i especially like that his profile picture is dean pelton from community one of my favorite shows of all yes, time that's a, that's a very important reason it's not simply that we also featured on his instagram it's also his excellent taste in television of course yes and uh, next week on tracks from abroad we're going to be having an episode on scotland so you're going to want to tune in for that but uh, that for the most part is uh, it for us today and we're going to leave you on one song 
by Roller Coaster, an indie rock band from South Korea. Thanks again for listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIET 89.5 FM.